Hello, everyone. Welcome. This is Waking from the American Dream. And as usual, we will start with a little song. It's Up To Me by Allie Handel. Uh, she's a singer, songwriter, and a wife of a very good friend of mine, Andrew Golden Hirsch. Uh, she's also the guitar player on that. Uh, she's a very, very good guitar player. Uh, her C- That was from the CD, Make Your Move. And um, you can find her stuff on iTunes, of course, and at Allie Handel, which is H-A-N-D-A-L dot com. So welcome, everyone. This is Kelly Carlin. This is Waking from the American Dream. And uh, boy, <laughs> I woke up this morning and was woken up from the American Dream watching the, uh, oh, I don't know what to call it, <laughs> the insanity in Wisconsin. Wow. Uh, I don't know. Between Governor Scott Walker and Charlie Sheen and Gaddafi, <laughs> I really don't know what to think about the human race this week. It's pretty amazing. Uh, I posted on Facebook and on Twitter uh, the clip of my father talking about the ownership of America and, of course, where he talks about waking from the American dream uh, because I thought, you know what, there's really nothing else to say uh, about Mr. Uh, Governor Walker in Wisconsin except, um, wow, yeah, they're, they're showing their cards, aren't they? 
so anyway, uh, you know, today we're going to take a little break from that kind of stuff. We're not going to talk about that world too much. Um, we're going to go into another world. But uh, first of all, I just wanted to share that I went to my 30-year high school reunion last weekend. And I have to tell you that a high school reunion is absolutely like a time machine because you're in your, in my case, a 47-year-old body, and yet you're going back to your campus and seeing faces uh, that you really, some people haven't seen in 30 years. And uh, so it's like this parallel universe. It's it's quite amazing. And uh, it was a, I had an amazing time. I actually, it's like all of the work and the healing and the therapy and the meditating and the retreats I've been on, especially in the last 15 years, uh, really have paid off because I uh, showed up and actually felt good about myself and my life and who I am and uh, could connect with people on a really deep level and got to talk to people that I actually didn't talk to a lot in high school, which is really ridiculous because my graduating class was all of 32 people. But you know what? Even in a class of 32 and a school of, I think there was maybe 200 of us, uh, there's still clicks. You still don't talk to everybody. Uh, you know. And of course, I was part of the AP smart girl uh, stoner click. So a very, very small little niche there I was a part of. But it was very cool. And uh, so yay, Crossroads, went to Crossroads, had my 30-year reunion. It was very cool. Uh, so I would like to uh, actually introduce my guest for today. Uh, I'm really excited about this guest. This is a kind of an unusual guest for me. You know, normally I have comics on and um, uh, I've had, you know, some film producers and stuff like that on. But this is a person who um, actually I heard her voice for the first time boy, probably about, oh, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago. And uh, her voice has always kind of been resonating in my life. Um, the woman I'm speaking of, her name is Tammy Simon, and she is the founder and publisher of this company called Sounds True. If anyone out there is a person who listens to CDs or tapes on any kind of spiritual path or seeking or personal growth stuff, m most likely you have heard this woman's voice. Uh, Sounds True is a multimedia company, uh, as of this year, has like over 600 titles of books and CDs and online podcasts and lectures and workshops. And like I said, they focus on mostly spiritual traditions, um, as well as some arts and humanities and, and personal growth stuff. Uh, like I said, for years, Tammy was the voice that I would hear at the beginning of these tapes. And I didn't know that that voice was actually the woman who was behind the genius of this company and uh, the person who has fostered this company along until about six months ago when I realized that she was doing podcasts. And I love podcasts because I put them on before I go to sleep and they help my monkey brain, monkey mind go to sleep. And I realized that this voice is actually the woman who, who runs the company and, and whose vision it is. And the reason I, I'm having Tammy on today is because I would listen to these conversations and I so loved her her curiosity and her style of inquiry about, you know, when she talked to these amazing teachers, people I totally respect, like uh, Sharon Salzberg and um, David White and uh, Janine Roth and just all these amazing teachers, Natalie Goldberg, who's an amazing writing teacher. So I really wanted to know about the woman uh, behind the voice. <laughs> so here she is today. Uh, Tammy, welcome to my show. Thank you so much. Thanks for inviting me. My pleasure. My pleasure. So I, I'm really curious about this. Um, I'd love to know about how did this all start for you? Like, uh, I know it was 1985, but what was the impetus to start a company like this and to, and to do this work? Well, you know, uh, Kelly, you mentioned you normally have comics on your show. And, you know, what could be funnier than seeking nothingness, than, <laughs> you know, seeking spirituality? True. Is, or trying to find a way to be where we are. I mean, mm. it's the most ridiculous comedic search in, you know, the human journey. And here I am. I'm uh, a youngster dropping out of college uh, because I need um, a lot more nothing in my life. And what I mean by that is that I had an intuition that the sense of spaciousness, a sense of eternity, infinity... Uh, that something that would transcend death could be touched as a human being. 
And I wanted to know what that was. And I wasn't finding that in an academic setting. And so, you know, there I am at Swarthmore College out in Pennsylvania, studying in the religious studies department, studying the lives and teachings of the great mystics, and thinking that any real mystic worth their salt wouldn't get a degree in mysticism. <laughs> it's just something that was just tragic and ironic about that. And so I left and went to India and Sri Lanka and Nepal for a year. Mm. And it was during that time, really, that the seed of Sounds True was born. And it was during that time that I prayed really, really hard to somehow be able to be a vessel and make a contribution with my life in some way. And what was meaningful to me was to take this practice of meditation that I had discovered when I was traveling through Sri Lanka and India and Nepal, and I uh, went to several of these very intensive 10-day retreats with a teacher named S.N. Goinka, and real, real meditation boot camp where you're uh, meditating from 5 in the morning until 10 at night wow. over a 10 period. And it was really in that practice that I felt a kind of homecoming. And this sense that I had, and this is how the seed of Sounds True was born, was that I wanted to bring those kinds of practices and that sense that there was an inner self-reliance that is possible and that inner self-reliance uh, could be taught and shown to people and awakened in people and stimulated and inspired. And that was really the seed of Sounds True. Mm. That's beautiful. You, you mentioned having an intuition, which uh, I, I know for myself that following my intuition, first of all, A, being able to really hear my intuition, that, that voice, that little voice inside, and, and then heed it and then follow it is, has taken me quite a long time. Um, what, what, it, what, what was it in your background or who you are that like, gave you permission to really take this quite you know, dramatic leap uh, to, to follow that spark, that intuition that was leading you both to, to the Far East to, to study and then to, to, to follow this vision? Yeah. Well, I would say nothing really gave me permission. I think that despair pushed me, mm. and it was more more a case of um, just being, you know, lying on the ground, mm. uh, you know, in pain, saying, you know, I've been given so much in my life, education and an opportunity with for my loving family to, you know, well, what do you really want? What's your dream? And I didn't know. Mm. And here I was, you know, in a, in a fabulous academic setting, you know, my, my mother would have uh, given her left arm to have gone to college in the, you know, 1940s and 50s when her brothers were sent to college, but they didn't have enough money for her. And here I was walking away from the whole thing. So I could do what? Go like, you know, <laughs> suck on my hair in India. Like, what was I doing with myself? Yeah. And, and so it, it was it was more a sense of um, crying out, mm. really, and crying out with sincerity, meaning I really wanted to um, pay homage to my family and to the gifts that I had been given, and I wanted to contribute to society. Mm-hmm. And that that call inside of me uh, created a cry, and I think the cry was so sincere. And then, you know, I heard instructions that I didn't really have permission to follow, but I didn't particularly feel like I had a choice. Uh, and I really didn't have, I didn't have any better options either. Right. Yeah, it's, it, is, it is interesting how that bottom, that despair, uh, I mean, I know in my own life, for me, that moment came with my mother's death, which will be, God, 14 years this year. And that's, the pain of that was when I, I woke up very quickly, the, like the week after her death, and realized that I, too, was yearning to follow a path of some kind. And, and to, to I'd been reading books and stuff like that, but I felt like I was kind of in the closet with it. And it was that fall that I ended up going to my first Thich Nhat Hanh retreat, actually, and, and gave myself permission uh, to say, you know what, life is short, and I'm really, I, you know, like you, it's like, I want to know, like, what, 
what is there? What is all of this? And, mm-hmm. and, and reading it is one thing, but experiencing it and, you know, like you said, you know, getting a college degree in it. I mean, I thought about it. It's like, wow, maybe I should get a, a master's in philosophy or comparative religion or something like that. But, but like you, I can really relate. It's like, yeah, but I don't think mystics sat around <laughs> reading textbooks and underlining. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I can, I can really relate to the despair aspect of it. So you, you came back from this trip and had, you know, some sort of experience, obviously, and, and had an encounter with an amazing teacher. Um, and, and so what happened? Like, who was the first person you decided to put on tape? Or was it a publishing of a book? Or what was this? Yeah. Well, the truth is it was, it was a journey, meaning when I came back from India, here I am, I'm 21 years old. And actually at that point, I weighed 90 pounds because I had stopped eating oh. very much at least. Mm. And this was not so great. I had hepatitis. This was not so great. And don't worry, my story is going to get better. There's going to be <laughs> some inspiring things here, but just stay with me. And uh, on top of it, and this was the thing that I think was the most shocking to people that had known me before I left, I wasn't speaking I wasn't speaking, and I wasn't speaking because I thought most of what people said was just filling up space, mm. and that they were uncomfortable and that they were uncomfortable with silence, so they were just saying nonsense, and I didn't want to say nonsense, so I just sort of stopped talking, and of course, this was just shocking what had happened, and so I came, it's not like I came back, you know, a capable entrepreneur, right. running this company. <laughs> yes. you know, I, I, I came back, you know, a kind of strange shell of a person that had touched something really profound, but also was not, I was not integrated at all in my being, and I really didn't know how to go forward. And it's, it's really a, a sequence of events that occurred, and it's um, too long a story to tell in detail, but the, the gist of it is that I started praying really hard. And I said, God, I'm willing to do your work. Show me what it is. And this word willing was very important to me because I didn't want to be willful because, I, first of all, I really didn't know what, mm. what it was. And second of all, I didn't want to lead with this sort of personal sense of, you know, it's about me and my personal will. But I also didn't want to be willless, like, you know, I'm just, you know, lying here like a noodle. And so it's like, I'm willing, but I need to be shown. And then, honestly, some just a series of incredible serendipitous events happened, people that I met, different things. And uh, soon after this, my father died. And when my father died, I received a small inheritance. It was about $50,000. And at that point, I was hosting a radio show, an interview program that was for a, vol- it was a volunteer situation for a local public radio station. And I volunteered because I had done radio at college, late night radio. And I loved interviewing people. And I thought the education that I couldn't get at college, well, perhaps I could get by hosting this radio show in Boulder where so many different spiritual teachers travel through. And I can ask a lot of questions and get some good counsel and learn. And I'll host this radio show. So one of the people that I was interviewing for the radio show happened to be somebody who worked with crystals. So that's why I was interviewing him. This mm. was you know, back in the 1980s. But he was also a very successful Boulder entrepreneur. At that point, he was just fresh over from Czechoslovakia, so he's just beginning his entrepreneurial life. And I said to him, I've got this small inheritance. I don't know what to do with it. I don't want to put it in the bank. Who knows where bank, what banks invest in, what part of the military industrial complex, etc. You know, I'm an idealistic 21-year-old. What should I do with this money? And he said, you should put it into yourself. And wow. I was like, okay, that's a, that's a you know, big thing to say, but yes. I don't know, I, me and myself don't know what to do with this. And he looked at me and he said, Tammy, you know what you want to do. And it was just a moment. It was, I think it's a moment that really underscores the power of mentorship, mm. the power of someone seeing a potential in another person and mirroring that to them. And there was a way that when I walked out of his office, everything in my body shifted and mm-hmm. I actually felt that I was, uh, and this is just what it felt like at the time. I felt like I wasn't walking on the ground anymore. I felt a couple feet above the ground as I was walking. So I was having some kind of like, well, what's going on here? And then I, I, I mean, this is what happened. I heard a voice and I just heard this phrase disseminate spiritual wisdom. Mm. That was it. Wow. And you know, I think it was some result of, you know, I've been praying so hard. Here I met this person. He said, you know what you want to do. And then I heard these three words, disseminate spiritual wisdom. And then after that, I sort of felt like I was back on the ground walking. 
and I engaged in a you know more analytical process and thought, well, how will I do this and blah blah blah. And I already had a radio show, and people were asking me for copies of my interview show, you know, like three copies a week. And right. you know, I had my little dubbing cassette deck, and I was, you know, uh, charging ten dollars a cassette, and I'd make thirty dollars that week. And but I thought, well, this is something I love. I love sound. I love music. I love learning by listening. I already have a radio show. I don't know if I, at that time, I thought, you know, I don't know if I really want to publish books. I'd read so many books at college, and it seemed like there were a lot of other people successful in book publishing, and that it would be better for me to be in a more, uh, you know, young, emerging industry than a mature industry. I didn't want to touch video because I hated how much television uh, was in my house when I was growing up and what that was like. And so I was like, okay, disseminate spiritual wisdom, and I'll start with audio. That's Mm. where I'll begin. Mm. So that was really the beginning. And then I went out to various conferences and recorded the uh, and workshops. So I already had the interview show, and during the interview show, people would often want to promote their local event. They were coming to Boulder to lead a workshop or speak at a conference, and I would go to then their event. I was able to make a relationship with them, and I said, look, I'll come, I'll record you. I'll give you a master copy of the recording. I'll keep one for my files. I'll make a certain amount of money on site selling the cassettes to the participants, and then I'll give you a percentage. Wow. So, you know, and I wanted to go to these workshops anyway because <laughs> sure. that's what I wanted to learn. Absolutely. And I, di- and I didn't really want to pay for it because I was cheap. And so this was a way that I, you know, got into these workshops for free totally. with my little portable tape recorder. And then you know, this is when high-speed dubbing was just yes. uh, becoming popular. So you can make like five copies, seven <laughs> copies in three minutes. Right. And then I sold them to purchase. And that was really the beginning of Sounds True. Wow. Wow. I love that vision. I just, I'm picturing you and it's, it's just fabulous. And yeah, you know, and, and it's interesting too, because while you were telling your story, I was thinking about that moment where you had with that gentleman and that, that, uh, that voice came to you and you know, this is something I really want to get into, and I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because I, I too have had moments like that in my life where, I mean, like after my mother died, the day after my mother died, she came to me. I was in the shower. I had lost it. I mean, I was just sobbing, sobbing, sobbing. And she came and put her arms around me. And and the, the thing about these kind of, I don't know how to say this, there's kind of two schools. And the thing is, is like, I never believe if there's only two schools, it really pisses me off and bothers me. But in general, there's these two extremes. There's these kind of this new age population that, um, you know, is called airy fairy and new age, and they believe in angels and past lives and things like that. And then on the way other extreme are these very rational, amazing, smart thinkers. Uh, some of them are uh, humanists and atheists and don't want to use the word God and, and question all of that, but are also you know, of course, very soulful, interesting people. And, and I find that, you know, I I like to find myself somewhere in the middle of that. And sometimes I feel uncomfortable about talking about these experiences that I've had too, where huge synchronicities happen in my life, the right people show up. I mean, especially since my father died two and a half years ago, a lot of that's been happening. Uh, You know, a voice in my head will tell me something. And, and so I'm just curious, like, how how do you hold yeah. that space also in in, in your yeah. life and yeah well, part of it is I'm not willing to come to a conclusion yes. about what actually happened. I yeah. don't believe that God spoke to me. Right. I don't believe that God didn't speak to me. I don't know. I really don't know what happened. Here's what I know. I know what it felt like in my body. Mm-hmm. The fe- this feeling that I had where I suddenly felt like I wasn't quite walking on the ground. That was concrete for me. That was somatic. That was that was that was this felt sense through all of me that said, pay attention, Mm -hmm. pay attention. This is something special that you, so where that message came from, was it my subconscious? Was it a spirit guide? Was it, I have no idea. And I actually, I don't need to know. It's it's kind of irrelevant. What, what's the important thing was the, uh, the, the, the veracity of the message, the truthfulness, the feeling that, uh, Oh, the excitement that I felt, like that's the key, was that through my whole body I felt turned on and electric and like, yes, there was a total body yes. So that's what matters to me. And then, you know, I think that there's probably not two interpretations, you know, a rationalist interpretation or a faith interpretation. But as you said, you know, let's not just go to these two polarizations, but maybe 20 possible interpretations. (laughs) Do you know who who knows? Or 20 million. Yeah, I mean, I mean, whatever number you want, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. 
And, you know, to me, the, the important thing, is, and, some, and it's also, it's taken me a while to learn the language in which, um, how my life is guided. Let's just put it that way. How, how this sort of inner guidance system works for me. And I'll give you an example. At one point, I was working potentially with some people who were presenting a new project to Sounds True. And I actually got physically nauseated while they were presenting the project. Like to the point where I thought, oh my God, I think I'm going to, you know, and mm. I took that, this was, you know, maybe a little over a decade ago. I took that as a sign that this was going to be very interesting working with them. For whatever reason, that's what I thought at the time. I thought this is going to be interesting. I feel nauseated. I've never felt that before. And it actually ended up being a terrible partnership. Mm-hmm. The company lost, you know, over $100,000. Wow. And it, none of it worked. And to me, the moral of that story was next time I feel nauseated <laughs> talking to some potential business partners, walk away. This is not interesting. You don't need this kind of stimulation in your life, you know? So I think that part of it is sort of learning to follow my own signals. Yes. In this case, that signal where there's this sense of sort of elevation and excitement, and that is usually, that is a sign for me, go forward. This yep. is good. There's sort of like a wind, it feels like, like a wind in my back, kind of pushing, like, you know, like wind in the sail. Yes. That's, that's the kind of feeling, those are the kinds of feelings I want to follow, you know. Anyway, and th- I think there's a whole, I have a whole uh, inner lexicon now of uh, how my body responds in situations and what I need to understand from those cues. Well, and it's a great point because, sub- you know, the subjective, which is what we're talking about here, experiential phenomena, uh, doesn't get, you know, like in our education system, we're not taught how to do this. We're not taught how to relate to our bodies, to relate to the somatic reactions that we have to walking into a room or meeting certain people. Uh, you know, we're taught to go to school and sit down and, and use our calculating brain. And I think it's, it's so sad because I'm a very intuitive person and I've always been a sensitive human being. I mean, I can read a room instantly and have been able to since I was three years old and it helped me survive a lot in my family. I had drug and alcohol crazy parents for a while, you know, and it really, you get even more sensitized to it because you really have to read the room. And I always think about how, how different the world would be if we really acknowledged that this is happening and that this is information just like two plus two equals four is information and yeah. Uh, yeah, and that, yes, there is an objective reality, and yes, there is science, and yes, absolutely, there's a rational way to look at the world, but subjective experience is, you know, just as powerful, and it has just as much information in it. Um, and, and so what I want to know from you is, how did, is there, um, what has helped you along the way to tune into that more, to, to be able to read that more for you? Are, are there any particular teachers you've turned to or practices uh, that have helped you in really trusting this amazing instrument that is your kind of body, heart, mind? Yeah, well, well there's a couple of things. I mean, I think, first of all, we're all getting tons of information all the time. Everybody is. So the real question is, are we willing to listen to it? And, you know, I, I, there's a, an author that Sounds True works with, a medical intuitive named Carolyn Mace. And part of what she uh, teaches is that often we don't listen to the guidance we're receiving because we don't want to hear it. <laughs> we actually, because the guidance says things like, quit your job, don't be with that partner any longer, don't have sex with her or him, or right. do have sex with her or him, or who knows, you know what I mean? And we actually don't want to change in the ways and say the things that we would have to say and take the responsibility we would have to take in situations mm-hmm. if we listened to all the messages that we're getting. So I think for all of us, it's not a question of actually that we need to sort of like open up these floodgates. The floodgates are open. We've dammed them mm. and shut out the messages because we don't want to know, because we don't want to change that quickly, and we don't want our life to be that overhauled and turned upside down. So that's, I think, one part of the equation. The other part of the equation is that our bodies are, we are sensitive instruments, and we can tune our instruments, or we can dull our instruments. And so, I, you know, once again, I think this is very personal, but I know that, you know, for example, certain foods or uh, certain activities dull me, 
and certain uh, meditation practices, time alone, time with certain people sensitize me. Mm-hmm. They, they tune the instrument. They fine-tune it. And then I become even more uh, nuanced in the ability to receive and sense different kinds of things. And, of course, meditation practice is a huge part of that for me personally. It's different for different people. Yeah. We know what dulls us. We know what increases our sensitivity. I think that often we can't handle being any more sensitive because part of it is the reason I said before how it may further us to have to change. And another part of it is we feel more. And we don't just feel more fabulosity. We also <laughs> feel more pain. Yes. And the pain is tough. Yeah. Other people's pain, the pain of the world, the pain of situations. Do I really want to be more sensitive? Actually, I think I'll eat or do something that dulls me yeah. because I don't want to be this sensitive. Yeah. It hurts. It, it's, it's so true. And, you know, when you look out at the world, and especially, I mean, when you look out at our country, uh, the amount of consuming going on of food, alcohol, drugs, media, uh, and that there's very little quiet and stillness in, I would say, the majority of people's lives. And, and it's, you know, it's like, uh, you know, one of the things that I, I've always, you know, I have a bit of a penchant to also want to be a teacher. And I've done some, you know, meditating, teaching and some workshops and things like that. And, you know, just to even introduce the concept of teaching people to be quiet and still, even if it's just for five minutes a day. Uh, you know, it just, to me, it seems like it would, it would just help the planet so much, but, but you're right. There's, there's that thing about the suffering. I remember working with Joanna Macy and doing a 10 day retreat with her. And she's a woman who helps activists, you know, deal with this very issue with facing and sitting the, you know, and sitting with the suffering of the world and teaching you how to breathe it in and how to, how to sit with facing it all, you know, and she talked about how, you know, when, when we got the atom bomb and we could actually destroy the planet. And when our psyche realized that, that something really shifted in the Western world, especially, and that this, this reality that we have the ability to kill ourselves and kill everyone on the planet, like a thousandfold is almost too big of a reality for any of us to really hold. And, and that that alone is something that we need to like, that we think we need to gird ourselves against every day. And, and I'm just wondering, do you, I mean, you know, you're doing so much, you do so much amazing work by introducing these teachers and, and, and their wisdom to the world. Um, is there a place where you sometimes go, really, what's the point? I mean, it's all kind of circling the drain or, you know, I mean, I'm just, just curious about that. Well, yeah, Definitely. You know, I mean, it depends when you catch me. There are times when I feel so grateful and so on purpose, and I I just feel so blessed to be in a job where every day I'm touching wisdom teachings and helping making them available to other people. And there are other days when I think just the whole idea of anybody being a spiritual teacher should be banished from the world forever, (laughs) that nobody really has any idea what they're talking about, Mm. that all the people who are spiritual teachers often, when you get to know them, have, you know, XYZ problem that is under the surface that people usually don't see. Mm -hmm. And, you know, yeah, I I feel kind of just, you know, I need a break from the whole thing. And usually when I feel that way, my partner, Julie, she'll just look at me and she'll say, you need a day off. (laughs) (laughs) And what I I mean by that, because it's actually true, is that I haven't taken the space that I need, so I'm sort of caught in, uh, you know, because this is, you know, for example, I have a friend who's a yoga teacher, and he says to me, you know, the tragedy of being a yoga teacher is you don't really do yoga anymore, you become a professional yoga teacher. And it's the same, I mean, in, in any, I mean, putting out spiritual information, listening to it, reading, talking about it is not the same as actually living a life that is filled with a a reverential contact with the moment. Mm -hmm. Actually doing that moment to moment, it's it's possible that, you, you know, to get kind of like one's coat gets caught in the machine, you know, the back of your coat, and suddenly that machine has just eaten you up. And it's on those days when I haven't taken the time and space that I need, but yeah, the whole thing can just look, you know, 
just dark. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it just kind of struck me too, because I was, I was thinking earlier today about um, <clears throat> all the teachers that have been, you know, caught in uh, inappropriate sexual relationships with students and, you know, it's always happening and, uh, and I'm sure, you know, I know you know of a few and I know of a few, but I was just thinking just now when you were saying that, it's like, I wonder if that's a way of their human psyche helping them to like get off the teacher thing so that they can go and be a human a little bit and, and just relate to what they need to relate to in their life and do the work that they need to do. Because it's true. I mean, I, I know when I teach workshops or, or even just walking around with the work I do on stage or just being who I am, which is, you know, sometimes George Carlin's daughter, it's, it's a role. And, and you don't get to, you feel like you have to hide some part of yourself, no matter how authentic and open and grounded of a human being you think you are. And uh, I think sometimes the psyche finds like interesting ways to say, okay, uh, we need to stop this. And we need to go over to this other sector of the psyche that we have been ignoring yeah. and take care of some business. Well, I mean, I think you're right that there's this uh, uh, call to keep it real. Yeah. Now, of course, I think there's a lot more skillful ways to keeping it real than a sex scandal. <laughs> you know, and that that's an unskillful way. For, yes. Using your language for someone to sort of rebalance themselves because yes. there's carnage in, in the wake mm-hmm. of their actions. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, other skillful ways to rebalance ourselves and sort of not buy into the projection of people who say, oh, great spiritual teacher, you know, no, I'm just a human being. First of all, I think it's leading with a certain vulnerability. You know, even as I just said that to you, that there can be dark days when I, you know, don't, I'm just like, I'm just completely fed up with the whole idea of even spiritual teachers existing at all. Just, you know, at, you know, some part of me felt a little bit, I had this voice inside that said, should I have said that? This is going to be, you know, like broadcast, you know, whatever. Should I have said that? Right. I run a company. I'm supposed to be, you know, whatever. <laughs> and yet I think that it's so important that we uh, lead with our vulnerability and our humanness and that we include both our our great light, our great infinitude and sense of possibility, and our our brokenness mm-hmm. together when we talk about our life experience, because that's how it feels. I mean, that's the real inner report. And there's nothing there's nothing wrong or shameful in any of those uh, places of lostness. In fact, there are moments that are often, as we've been talking about, moments of initiation and moments that open us to even greater grace and greater beauty because we've descended to them. And it's, I mean, some of the most uh, heart-opening experiences in my life have come from being willing to go through dark and difficult experiences. And the kinds of knots that I think that historically have been around my heart, it's those experiences that have untied them and continue to untie them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, I, and I think about the kind of teachers and the kind of teachings that you've brought through your company and brought out to the world. And, and I really think about the people that you, that you present. And like, cause I was, I was looking at the list earlier today and trying to think of like, what connects all these people? And the one thing about all of it, whenever, I mean, and I don't, you know, I don't ascribe to, you know, I don't, there's some things on your list. It's like, oh, I would never go there. But there's a lot of stuff on your list. There's a lot of people that I really love and really uh, just find their teachings so juicy. And there's something very grounded about those teachers. You know, I I heard your conversation with Janine Roth the other day. And of course, David White is someone who, you know, grounds people incredibly. And, and there's just something about, they're not afraid to hold, you know, in that Jungian way, the dark and the light, you know, to really hold the tension of the opposites and, and be fearless. Um, Carolyn Mace is another example of that, you know, around the shadow and the importance of saying, you know, it's there, it's who we are and, and ignoring it certainly doesn't help, but working with it in some way. And, And a lot of, I think the teachers that you present are people who are trying to work with it in some way and to try to help people to, to, uh, to sit with it in some way. Yeah, well, 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 two things about that. The first is that I noticed early on in the beginning days of Sounds True, when I published people 
or even considered publishing people who were more, uh, you know, five immediate quick steps to total happiness forever. <laughs> what would happen would be that I would actually start feeling the shadow in myself, mm. meaning suddenly get like very grumpy and very strange. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to have to hold the shadow of this project. I don't want to do that. I, I, I work with a project that's balanced. I feel balanced. If, so, there, so there was just also just the personal carrying of that that was so uncomfortable to me. But then secondly, and, and this is sort of more how I feel in, in terms of Sounds True's responsibility to other people, people come on the spiritual journey and if they're given a message that it's all going to be you know, a love and light walk, then when they hit these difficult times in their life, first of all, they shy away from them. So they're shying away from the place where the gold is actually hidden. And then secondly, they beat up on themselves as if going into this dark period is somehow a, a, you know, a misstep or somehow something that they've done that's wrong. And then there's all of this sort of shame and self-blame. Instead of seeing that actually there is absolutely no way that a kind of geyser of mud, if you will, will not be released from our being as we do deep spiritual work. And that's what it is. I mean, so if we don't give people the right map about what they can expect, then they actually will shy away from the most transformative experiences. Yeah, absolutely. I remember my first meditation teacher saying, um, if you've come here for peace and serenity, I hate to disappoint you. <laughs> but as you get deeper into your meditation practice, you're going to notice some really ucky things coming up. And that's actually where the work is. And of course, yeah. for me, that was thrilling because it was like, oh, good, someone who's, you know, willing, A, to, you know, sit here with me in my muck. Um, but also, you know, uh, someone who's, you know, not you know, not holding any punches, you know, like is really willing to, to walk through it with me. And, and that's an exciting, and, and it's a relief. It's a huge relief because it's, it's there, like you said. Um, we only have a few more minutes. So I, I want to know, like, what's next for you and Sounds True? Is there someone new coming up, a new teacher or a new program that you guys are doing that you're really excited about and new direction? I mean, I know these podcasts, you've been doing them for about, I don't know, two years now, but What's 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 the new crackling edge for you, Tammy Simon? Okay. Well, uh, you know, you're asking the question sort of from in a professional context, and I think in that context, um, you know, here we are. We're having a conversation uh, over the phone, which is wonderful. I feel like I'm connecting with you. But the next, you know, potential on the web, and I think this will be happening in all kinds of podcasts and in, in all kinds of dialogues, is that we'll be in video contact mm -hmm. with each other. And I think that's going to open up a lot of opportunities for Sounds True, our ability to have our authors uh, on camera answering questions from the Sounds True audience. And I, of course, you know, looking forward to hosting all kinds of video online dialogues like this and bringing different authors together into dialogue with each other and letting our audience ask questions. So I think it just opens up a lot, this ability to do video streaming online and uh, have a worldwide audience participating, mm -hmm. live interaction, asking questions. So I think the technology is creating uh, a sense of it being an incredibly celebratory time in terms of new opportunities at Sounds True. And that's, I think, a lot of what I'm really excited about. And, you know, then personally, I think that uh, the edge that I'm working with is uh, really uh, seeing, I mean, I love working. I love it. I love creating. I love making things. And that's a part of me I don't think that will ever go away. But I also see how it's a, a way that I, uh, it can be an addiction. Mm -hmm. it, can, it can also be a way that I uh, avoid space and avoid emptiness and avoid just sort of the openness of life without a purpose, without, you know, um, something I have to do and contribute all the time. And I think to really become more comfortable in my day-to-day -day life with that emptiness is uh, something that's um, currently my growing edge. Mm. Beautiful. Um, well, so... Thank you so much for this. And, and thank you for following your intuition 
all those years ago. And uh, really, because I, I know, f- f- you know, for me, you're, the work you've done has given me some kind of um, like buoys in the sea, you know, like, oh, there's a buoy, there's, there's some words, and there's a teacher. And, you know, you have to do the work yourself. Yeah, you have to walk the walk yourself. But, but with, you know, without having availability of these voices uh, from the edge, and these these voices out there who've kind of maybe a couple of steps ahead of me on the path, uh, it would have taken me a hell of a lot longer to feel okay in my own skin. So I personally want to thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you. And I think, I mean, I think that's what we need. We need each other. Yeah. We need, we need uh, people who have taken their journey and turned it into art and turned it into a gift for other people. And they are, they're lighthouses and we need to shine them bright. Yep. So, so thank you, Tammy. And uh, thank you. And uh, thank you. It's great to talk to you. Uh, great to talk to you too. And uh, hopefully we'll talk soon. Okay. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. So everyone, that was the fabulous Tammy Simon. I uh, hope you enjoyed that and hope you go check out her company. I'm sure you, I mean, if you're spiritual seekers out there, I know you have. <laughs> I've given her thousands of dollars of my money. Um, I just wanted to mention a few things at the end of the show here. By the way, Barbara Roman's in the house, everybody. Yay. <clears throat> so myself, me, myself, and I, the Kelly Carlin person that I am. I'm going to be performing a couple times this month here uh, locally in Los Angeles. Uh, Next Wednesday on March 16th, I'll be performing at Tasty Words. Uh, They're doing an Irish show, and I'll be telling a little story about my grandmother who's Irish. It's not really an Irish story, but my grandmother's Irish and I'm Irish, goddammit, so I'm in the Irish show. And then I'm going to be at a new place uh, on Sunday the 20th at Beyond Baroque in Venice, at um, I think it's called Comedy in Action, and it's a new show. And there's like amazing people. I think Rick Shapiro's on, and uh, Taylor Negron, and Dylan Brody, and myself, and a bunch of other people. Fabulous lineup. Also, this week a very special book has been released. It is my dad's girlfriend's love of not love. Well, I okay, love of his life. I hate to say that because my mom was his love of his life too, but uh, certainly. The Last 10 Years of His Life. Uh, Sally Wade, her book is out. It's called The George Carlin Letters, The Permanent Courtship of Sally Wade. And it's this really cool book where she kept every single little love note and postcard that my dad wrote to her over 10 years. And she's fashioned him into a book and then talked about their day-to-day life together and their trials and tribulations and their joy and their funny ways of looking at the world. And it's very sweet. And my dad was a huge romantic uh, and so it's a really very sweet um, look at my father. Also, I'm really, really excited because my show is now on iTunes. I feel like a grown-up person in the real world. I don't know. Is that horribly, I don't know, silly of me? But so you can find my show on iTunes. And if you're a listener and you love my show, would you do me a huge favor and go and rate my show and write a little review because it really helps me out and because I'm determined to beat Mark Marin at this game, goddammit, and get twice as many listeners as him. <laughs> That's my that's my goal in life right now. Maybe I'll have them on my show. Maybe that would help. Um, and of course, you have, if you have any music to share with me, any royalty-free music or any feedback or want to talk to me, uh, you can reach me at wfadradio at gmail.com. <clears throat> And I want to thank everyone. I want to thank Barbara and Johnny Dam and my husband Bob and the great strange people on the Twitterverse and, of course, you freaks on Facebook and all of my friends and my family and, um, and that thing that Tammy and I were talking about, which is that big unknown space. So we don't know who it is. We don't know who brings these intuitions. We don't know who brings these synchronicities. We don't know why the voice in the head comes in, uh, but it does. But I'd like to personally thank that thing, whatever it is, for guiding me and taking care of me and uh, embracing me and loving me because, fuck, I wouldn't get out of bed without it. Uh, so today, um, <clears throat> we're going to end the show with my friend... Gary Stockdale, who I've played his stuff before, but he's got a CD out this week. And the CD is called, oh shit, I wrote it down somewhere. Okay, I can't remember it now. Okay, but go look, find Gary Stockdale, uh, GarySockdales.com, and he's on Reverb Nation and he's on Facebook. But the name of this song is called Easier. And this is such a sweet song, and Gary describes it when he plays it live that he thought it was a funny song when he wrote it. Um, and then he played it for 
his friend and my friend, Paul Provenza, and Paul cried. Because if you are an artist, if you are an entrepreneur, if you are a solo person, then uh, out there in the world, you understand the sentiment of this song because we all thought it would be easier. And well, sometimes it doesn't feel that way. Have a great week, people. See you next week. Say, I don't think I know how to write a song I still write bad similes Like a burden hand is like the day is long Started a career but all I do is worry I have no career I get invited to a party But all I'm thinking is, what am I doing here? When I seem to be most comfortable, really wishing I was still in bed. Always so surprised, folks don't realize I'm just hanging by a thread. Shouldn't it be easier by now? I jump right off the deep end like a jerk Bad at self-promotion And I sound desperate When I talk about my work My work Ask me what I'm doing All that I can do Is tell you what I did Try to avoid mistakes my folks made Yet I think I might be screwing up my kid When I think I found the perfect way Somehow I still wind up lost in space Like a house without a floor A sea without a shore Try not to lose the human race Shouldn't it be easier by now? Shouldn't I have this down? Shouldn't I be shining through? Collecting all my royalties. Shouldn't I be sure that I know how? Shouldn't I own this town? Shouldn't I be able to depend? All my loyalties and friends. Shouldn't it be Radio. On the interweb.